Today, I had the pleasure of speaking and learning from Robert Jefferson. Robert is an American 40-year broadcast news anchor and veteran. He's a professor of journalism and has had the majority of his career working in Japan. Aside from his broadcast duties, he has a smaller, intimate project known as the Kamakura Gardener. Today, we explore his biography, his disenchantment with corporate media, truth-finding and sense-making, and his eventual catharsis in finding local content connecting community to the gardens and surroundings of Kamakura, Japan. He shares his experience finding freedom in Japan and offers an analysis of the decline of journalism and of the West. We talk about his brief stint in Hawaii and the mainland and offer an option for those considering life abroad and paths for finding opportunity. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. That's one of my first questions. I think my mom, she introduced me to your videos, and I think she fell in love with your voice. You you definitely have a beautiful broadcaster voice. Where did you actually grow up in the States? You know, I was born in Philadelphia, but I grew up in Montgomery County, which is north, about an hour north of Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, I have what's called a uh, mid-Atlantic broadcast accent. Yeah, I, I was in broadcasting in the military. That was my job. Yeah. Information broadcast specialist. I was a, a, a TV news announcer <laughs> in the Air Force. I I, I was lucky. I uh, insisted. Uh, I had an FCC license when I joined. Had been studying up to that point. Actually, they tried to to make me an inventory management specialist, and I said, "Hell no, hell no," and uh, I prevailed. And and uh, it didn't take long, just a, a week or so, and and I was sent to. Um, a technical school, the, the um, Defense Information School of Journalism and Public Affairs. Yeah, yeah, I, I know Honolulu. Well, I, I knew Honolulu very well back in back in the mid '80s for KHVH News Radio ninety nine and KGU Talk Radio seventy six, the voice of Hawaii. Yeah. Well, you actually had the perfect Hawaii accent there. That was pretty well done. <laughs> yeah, most people have no clue that the W is a V sound. It's not America, and it's not Japan. It's in between both. Right, and, right. But here in Hawaii, I think we have a, there's a strong sense of aina, of place, of localism, of culture, of being connected to each other, to people. You have the benefit of, of, of true multiculturalism. You know, you have the Japanese, the Chinese, the Portuguese, and, and um, the Polynesians, and, and then all of the other imports from around the world. So, yeah, it's truly, um, diverse uh, and it's, uh, that's not some just you know trite word um it, it truly is yeah yeah and and then the you know the uh the the local traditions okay. Pablo, the first time i was ever called nigger was in hawaii in honolulu yeah, yeah wow. i was walking home one night from a club or somewhere um I, I was living in um um lower manoa and i was walking up the hill from from honolulu and uh and these young they were asian kids they were drunk or something, and they leaned out the window. Hey, nigger! <laughs> and that was the first and only time I never felt any uh, racial um, uh, discrimination or antipathy or anything like that while I was there. And I was like, "Well, what the hell was that all about?" <laughs> you know? is, yeah. uh, what year was this in? Eighty-five, eighty-six. But yeah, I mean, that was the only time, you know. And so I, I, I would never let that, you know, taint my view or or my experience in Hawaii. I mean, I was, you know, it's this young, skinny black kid, basically, who who got hired at two of the best radio stations in town, you know. And then ABC News hired me to come back to. I left Japan to go to Hawaii, and then ABC News hired me to come back. So, 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure what that was all about, but uh, that was the only time. Uh, most people were very kind and, and gracious. And so, and, how and, long were you in Hawaii for? Uh, about two years. Um, and I, I was I meant to do this. I had to go back. <laughs> when you get older, you kind of forget certain things, especially when it was four decades ago. A year and a half to two years that I was there, and uh, I was able to actually. I think I, I may have it. If you give me just a quick second here. It was a recreation of a voyage, a Polynesian voyage, the Hokulea. And I was there when they arrived at the beach. Sort of like a, a spiritual leader, Sam Ka'ai. He was there. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. Yeah, it was, they were, you know, blowing a conch shell and they were doing all kinds of, you know, Hawaiian prayers and whatnot. It was absolutely beautiful. That's, um, I didn't know anything about this. And your, your biography is kind of limited online a lot about. Your, yeah, your I, I used to be on uh, uh, LinkedIn and all that. I, I erased it all. I got rid of it all. Yeah, I, I don't trust LinkedIn, and and and, and uh, I, I don't mind people knowing about me, but uh, yeah, I, I would just prefer to to have control over it. I, yeah. I apologize about these people in Hawaii, um, but oh no, 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 you don't have to apologize at all. Nobody has to apologize. Well, I mean, the good thing is you saw some of the darkness in paradise as well. That yeah, there's yeah. very complex it was, class it was issues. Fun. I mean, I, I I lived when I was in Lower Manoa. I lived at. Um, <laughs> It was a house share, actually a, an, an old converted garage share. I was sharing with two other guys. One was Filipino-American, and the other one was from Detroit, a black American. Um, and the owners were Chinese. And um, they were really sweet, very nice. The old lady, she used to get, she realized how poor we were. So she used to give us our lunches, or dinner boxes, whatever. And uh, she would always say, Sekvan, Sekvan. She couldn't speak much English. The sekvan is is Cantonese for "Have you eaten?" <laughs> which means "How are you?" <laughs> but basically, it literally means "Have you eaten?" Sekvan, sekvan, and uh, yeah, she's very sweet. Her sons were very nice, very nice, and uh, so yeah. I mean, I you know, I, I never had any uh, racial uh, issues yeah, except for that one night, and luckily it was that just that one night. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's it's good that I did experience a little darkness in in paradise. Talking about darkness, I just was wondering what your concern. A few times in the interview with the Black Experience guy, you talked about how you removed your Facebook account, and now you just said that you deleted your LinkedIn. And all of this, pretty much at the same time. Yeah, that was like 2016. I had just gotten fed up with uh, big media. Well, that that's one of my first questions: is that you were in big media? Yeah, what shifted that media disenfranchisement or? Discussed. Uh, well, or... it was what Facebook and Zuckerberg were doing, you know, uh, prying into people's private affairs, uh, restricting people from doing this, that, and the other. I could see it coming, you know. And, uh, what we have now, the 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 blacklisting, the shadow banning, the, the outright banning of people. I could see that coming, and I said, I don't want to be any part of it. That's why I, I did sign up for Twitter years ago, and I I tried to use it a couple of times, and I was like, "What the hell is this for?" I couldn't really see the purpose, and and it turns out it's just a place for people to go and show off or bitch and complain about each other. And I was like, "I don't want to be a part of that." It's something that Americans don't learn in school, and that is Jacobinism, Bolshevism, communism, Marxism. This is exactly what's happening in the United States now. It's being taken over. You go back and look at the French Revolution, the Jacobins, the Bolshevik Re Revolution in, in Russia, how they destroyed Russia. You know what what happened in Germany. You know during World War II, you know the Nazism and 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 all that. And they're, they're doing it here now. Well, here they're doing it in the United States now. 
And most people aren't taught about this stuff. They have no clue. They have no clue what's happening. And this is, it's you can see it. Um, uh, for example, um, um, what's his name? The former FBI director, um, uh, McCabe. He, back in the 70s, when he was in, in, in college and, and just getting out of college, he was an avowed Marxist, a communist. He was a member of the Communist Party. Brenner, the former CIA director, communist. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and and the media won't say anything about them. You try to bring it up and they'll deny it. But I mean, they their quotes are out there. They don't deny the quotes. And now these people are running government. You know, and that, you know, I mean, the whole Congress just pisses me off. I mean, how do you have somebody making 170000 between $170,000 and $200,000 a year owning million dollar mansions? Uh, what's up? Maxine Waters in California. She owns a four and a half million dollar house on a hundred seventy thousand dollar salary. That's impossible. You know, Nancy Nancy Pelosi is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Her husband is worth more. <laughs> you know. Well, well Robert, why don't we go back one second and just for people who don't know about your career and who you are, just a you know one minute biography for people. Um, Currently, I am a. Uh, broadcast journalist. I worked for Japan's public broadcaster NHK, at which I am a news writer um, and an announcer. I worked for two sections of NHK, uh, NHK's uh, World, um, NHK World TV, and I also worked for the domestic service Channel One as an announcer. Um, we have what's called here bilingual news. And the evening news is translated by a staff of trans, a huge staff of translators and simultaneous interpreters. And and I'm one of the uh, on-air English language announcers. Uh, so on a sub channel, on a sub audio channel, uh, you can tune into either Japanese or English or both. Uh, you can split the channels. Um, NHK World TV is internet based. Uh, it's for a foreign audience. It's not. Um, it's not allowed to be broadcast in Japan, sort of like um, um, uh, the Voice of America used to be uh, banned from broadcasting in the United States until Barack Obama came along. Uh, it was illegal for the United States government to propagandize its citizens, and and um, the Voice of America is is considered to be propaganda. Um, and Barack Obama changed that uh, to allow them to broadcast propaganda to American citizens. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, so, yeah, um, I've been in broadcasting um, as a professional uh, 50 years in 2026. I actually started learning broadcasting in 1974. So next year will be my 50th anniversary as uh, as, as a novice, at least. Um, yeah, I started in Philadelphia at, uh, I started at, I heard it, at, uh, WDAS AM and FM in Philadelphia. So if you can see that, I think it says 1977. I actually started in, uh, 1976. And, uh, I also worked at WRTI in Philadelphia, Temple University's radio station. And that was back in the late mid, mid seventies. And then in 2003, when I went back to the States, I worked at WRTI, Temple University's radio station, um, for a short while while I was still in, in, in Philadelphia. Um, sorry to be jumping around like this, but, uh, right now, yes, I, I am a, um, 
yeah, I, I work for NHK right now. Um, I was uh, in high school. I started studying uh, television production in high school in 1974 as a freshman. And then in 1976, I went to work as an intern and production assistant at WBAS AM and FM in Philadelphia. People may remember Ed Bradley. He was with 60 Minutes. He got his start at, I don't know, maybe not his start, but he did work at WDAS in Philadelphia for a short time. And I, I went on and joined, I, I, I was enrolled at Temple University after high school in 1978. And I only spent one semester there because it. I was just sitting sick and tired of sitting in classrooms after having spent 12 years in, in grade school um, and already had uh, experience. I even had a Federal Communications Commission's license, uh, a third class radio telephone operator's permit, uh, which I still have somewhere around here, um, the, the certificate, uh, be in the business. I wanted to be, my dream was to be a foreign correspondent. Um, which came true later, I'll get to that. Um, and I wanted to be a war correspondent, but there were no wars at the time because the Vietnam War had, had ended. Um, had it continued, I, I probably would have been drafted, but it ended in 75 and uh, and I came of age, well, military age in 77. So uh, I decided to join the Air Force. A friend of mine was uh, was uh, thinking of joining the Air Force and he wanted me to come along and, and basically sit with him and hold his hand while he talked to um, uh, an Air Force recruiter. And, and so I, I went along and, and listened to him. And, and after he finished his spiel with my friend Tony, he turned to me and said, well, what about you? And I said, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm enrolled at Temple University. And and uh, yeah, I'm going to pursue a broadcasting career. And he said, well, don't you realize that you know the United States military has the largest network at the time in the world? And I said, really? <laughs> Never heard of that. And he said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll come back and I'll bring some pamphlets and, and show you, um, you know, what we have." So he did. He did come back. Yeah, it was the, the promise of of being stationed overseas, and I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. And so here I had an opportunity to to travel the world and be paid for doing something in the United States military, any anyway, at least uh, that that uh, I I wanted to do. And uh, it was so enticing that I said, sure, I'll do it. I had to get away from, you know, the college classes that were just totally boring. Um, and to to continue doing what I had already been doing for the past couple of years, four years at least. Um, so, yeah, I, I signed up and went to the Defense Information School of Journalism and Public Affairs. Uh, that was a, uh, overall, it was about a two-year course. And my first assignment, I was never stationed stateside. I was all of my assignments were overseas. My first assignment was in southern Turkey at uh, Interlake Air Base, just outside the southern Turkish city of Adana, just off the Mediterranean coast, just above Greece and Cyprus, um, close to the border with Syria and uh, not too far from Lebanon. Where did this interest for the foreign come from? Was your family? also military family or where did you have philadelphia where, why were you concerned with the rest of the world I mean, my family wasn't uh, we weren't uh, traveling military all of my my grandfather was a uh, a jet engine mechanic in world war ii my father uh was in the korean war but he was stationed in germany his younger brothers were also in the korean war um, they wanted to take advantage of the GI Bill, which they did. My father went on to study um, um, architecture at uh, Drexel University in Philadelphia. Um, but I, uh, from a very young age, I was just—I was very curious about news. My first 
recollection well what i remember most about my childhood the, the earliest recollection that i have of my childhood was november 22nd 1963 i was six i was three years old when john f kennedy was shot and i was wondering why are all of these adults staring at the television and crying and why is the tv on all the time all day long you know we had this black and white tv sitting in the, in the, in the living room we lived in philadelphia at the time and I was just fascinated. And I could still remember the cortege of, of, of Kennedy's um, horse-drawn uh, uh, a coffin on top of a horse-drawn carriage um, going down, I guess it was Pennsylvania Avenue, towards the White House uh, or wherever. Uh, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was, it was the White House. Um, and I was ever since that, I was just curious. I would sit uh, when my mother would have her little cocktail parties or whatever. I would sit in the other room and, and eavesdrop. <laughs> I was just curious about what they were talking about. I was always curious about news. Uh, back in the 60s, you had the the, the African uh, liberation movements um, um, and the assassinations of African leaders. Uh, and the Vietnam War was in full swing. Uh, well, after, after Kennedy was assassinated and Johnson came in. Uh, then there was the moon, uh, uh, the, the the space race. You know how this the, the uh, how the Soviets were winning the space race. You know the the first country to put a satellite in space, the first country to put an animal in space, the first country to put a man in space, the first country to put a woman in space, the first country to put a a, a person of African descent in space. America <laughs> was being shown up. See, we don't learn this stuff in school, <laughs> so, <laughs> but you can fact check me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we had we had newspapers galore. We had the Philadelphia Daily Bulletin in the morning and afternoon. We had the Philadelphia Inquirer. They had two papers a day. You know, of course, there was no internet back then, but people actually read the newspaper and actually talked about it. It was okay to talk about things. You know, um, the civil rights movement was in full swing. It was it was quite a heady time uh, to be young and, and impressionable. Robert, did your sister share this interest in media and international? Your twin sister, you have? No, no, not at all, not at all. Um, and I've she she recently joined Telegram, and I sent her a little welcome message, and uh, then I tried to send her something uh, uh, newsworthy, and and she didn't want to hear it. She, she even said, you know, I don't I don't want to be seeing things like this. I forget exactly what it was. Um. And so I, I deleted it, and uh, I've never said anything like that. I, I have an older brother. Um, I have two older sisters who are also twins, and then an elder brother. And we used to send each other articles, and, and we used to, to talk about things. But there's there's been a, a huge divide I, I found in America. A lot of people have joined a team, a tribe, and they don't want to hear anything else. Whether it's the you know the the cult Covidians. Or, or, or you know, the, the 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 staunch Democrats or the staunch Republicans, you know, the MAGA country people or whatever. And people, uh, a lot of people just don't want to to talk anymore. But back in the sixties and seventies, people talked, they argued, and they went out and had a barbecue together. You know, they didn't. They, they, there wasn't this vitriol and this division now. And that, this is on done on purpose. You know, to divide and rule people. Um, this is all being done on purpose. Go back to your point. Yeah, my sister, she was interested in sports. I wasn't. I became the house announcer at basketball games. <laughs> I didn't. I did play in junior high school. I, I did play, you know, football. 
but that was about it. I, I never played basketball, never learned the rules, never learned the positions. It just didn't interest me. I saw brothers fighting uh, over, you know, basketball games and whatnot, destroying each other's bicycles over it. And these were brothers. <laughs> How they went home and solved it, I don't know. But uh, just moving forward a bit in time to Japan, you do the Air Force. They train you to be a, a journalist or announcer. And then how do you get to oh, Japan? Oh, not only that, um, announcer, a writer, a uh, camera operator, uh, a technical operator, uh, you know, pressing all the buttons in the control room, uh, uh, ENG, electronic news gathering, you know, the little mini cam on the shoulder thing, you know, everything they taught. I mean, this might be a direct question, but you talked about propagandizing the population. Yeah. Being educated as a journalist or person in the Air Force seems, I'm curious how that educational experience is different than maybe how you're teaching at Temple and what the goals of that information management is. Well, it's interesting. I don't know if you've seen the movie Good Morning Vietnam. Remember the two twins, you know, who were censors? The identical twins who were censoring, you know, they would st stand in the other room uh, just beyond the, the glass, staring at the, the DJ or whatever, making sure they don't say anything wrong or if they're reading the news or something. There was there was that that's that's Hollywood. There there was never any such uh, censor. Uh, we had no one censoring us. Uh, we had host nation sensitivities. Uh, here I am in southern Turkey um, uh, during the Iran hostage crisis. We no one stood over my shoulder censoring me when I put together a newscast. It was my responsibility, you know, and, and nobody told me what I couldn't say or what I couldn't say. Um, it was just you know be respectful. We are in a, a predominantly Muslim country, Turkey. And so be respectful. Um, and I was actually studying Islam at the time. And so I was one of the few people who could pronounce the names of, of the people in the news back then. You know, the Iranian foreign minister or the Iranian president. Um, um, the Iranian foreign minister, his name was Sadek Gopzadeh. And the president's name was uh, Abul Hassan Bani Sadr. And I was one of the, you know one of the only people who could even pronounce these names, and the Saudi uh, uh, the Saudi Arabian who was the OPEC uh, oil chief uh, Ahmed Zaki Yamani, and, and and I was studying Arabic at the time, I was studying Turkish and Arabic, and and so I could pronounce these names. But we didn't have censorship. We used the wire services, United Press International, UPI, and Associated Press, AP. And they had some really good broadcast wires, and far different than today. They they were uh, they were real journalists then, you know. Uh, uh, sure, there, there may have been some slants pro this or pro that, pro Europe, pro Israel, or whatever. But it wasn't as blatant as it is today. I, I think we were far more objective and neutral back then than what I hear today, uh, especially on on the corporate networks. You know the the big American networks, the cable networks, and whatnot. We were far more objective and, and neutral uh, than than what people are listening to today. And this was in the Air Force. So the, the news that I was broadcasting was basically pretty much the same as people heard on on the radio while driving to work. You know, in, in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. Although I was, you know, in Southern Turkey, uh, it, we tried to recreate the uh, uh, the American media atmosphere there. Um, as either as DJs or news announcers, because uh, we had all the all of the the same inputs that you would have at a radio and television station back in the state. The the obvious slants that you that you see today at, at CNN, for example. Um, what about um, Japan? That's one of my main critiques or questions I have about how the Japanese media is managed and 
your analysis as an American of how that media consensus is created in Japan, if you have any opinion on that. Well, it seems to me, I, I've noticed, I've worked in, in Japanese media now for, for, for 40 years. It seems to me that now there, there's been a huge change. Japanese media used to be more curious than they are now. Um, um, they seem to follow, how should I put it, the, 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 the status quo, the Western status quo. They don't, you know, for example, the, the, the war in Ukraine between Russia and Ukraine, um, um, they're, they're calling it an unprovoked attack on Ukraine. An unprovoked, it was not unprovoked. Hello, there was a, there was a coup d'état instigated by the United States during the Barack Obama, the Barack Obama administration. They overthrew a democratically elected, the first democratically elected president of Ukraine was overthrown by a U.S.-backed coup led by the State Department's Victoria Nuland. And John McCain was there. John Kerry was there. Nuland, she was there handing out cookies in Maidan Square. And now they call it an unprovoked uh, uh, invasion. The, the Ukrainians were killing their own people. They happened to be ethnic Russians. <laughs> but they were killing their own people. 14,000 of them were dying in eastern Ukraine, the Donetsk and Lugansk. Don't question that. Uh, to answer your question, the Japanese don't question. Um, um, they just go along with whatever Reuters is saying, whatever the AP is saying, whatever you know the, the Western uh, American corporate uh, TV networks or cable news are saying. They, it's just you know uh, blindly following the status quo. And years ago, they didn't do that. They didn't. They're taking sides because Japan and Russia have some territorial disputes, uh, some northern four northern islands um, uh, that that Russia invaded and took over uh, in the closing days of World War II. And Japan and and Russia have yet to sign a peace treaty. They have diplomatic relations, but they've yet to sign a peace treaty uh, because the Japanese were upset that the the Russians won't won't vacate those islands and give them back. Um, uh, but there's a lot of um, um, untruths being told in, in in Japanese media about what's going on, you know, that the Ukrainians are winning when they're obviously losing, you know, that the Russians committing atrocities, and it's been proven that the Ukrainians uh, military has, has, has committed far more atrocities than, than the Russians have, and on and on. Um, Do you think yeah. that change in um, journalistic culture where does that come from is that from external pressure the lack of why do you think is that because of the decline of japan economically the independence that it's had i'm just curious where you think that there's a lot of them yeah it's the economic decline um it, it's wanting to uh, feel as though um, um uh, there's a, a a feeling uh i, I in my opinion anyway um, i i sense that there's a feeling among um, the Japanese leadership that they want to be um, accepted. They were, they have been accepted in in the Western Bloc as a full fledged member of the Western Bloc, and they don't want to lose that position. But they they sense uh, they, they it's obvious that economically Japan has fallen very far, and basically it's suicide. You know, had we had trade representatives, you know, and and I still remember some of the names: Charlene Barshevsky, the U.S. trade representative, coming to Japan, forcing Japan to stop being successful economically, forcing their automobile companies and and other industries to stop being so goddamn successful. How dare you? <laughs> you know, how dare you produce such wonderful cars? You know that everyone wants to buy. You know, especially from the 1970s when they produced, you know, uh, uh, cars with great. Uh, uh, great mileage, gasoline mileage. Um, and here we are watching Japan about to, it's already slipped from number two to number three behind China, 
the United States, and the United States is not the number one economic power anymore. You know, um, and Western media, American media won't admit that, but it, it all America may have more in the way of 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 money or wealth. But um, when it comes to uh, purchasing power, there's a, there's a there's a an index called PPP, purchasing power parity. Um, and then there's also manufacturing. Um, China far outstrips the United States in manufacturing capacity and, and purchasing power parity. Um, so China is number one economically. The United States is number two. Japan is number three, but it's about to lose that spot to Germany. But then Germany is going to lose it to whoever. I mean, German economy has been screwed. Again, it's it's a, it's another example. The German economy is another example of how a company is committing suicide. All of the EU is basically committing suicide, allowing the United States to 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 blow up the Nord Stream pipeline. And it's like, oh, we don't know who did it. We who did that? Who did? Okay, well, knock it off. Joe Biden ordered that pipeline being being destroyed. And we have him on tape saying that if, you know, if if the Russians do this, that pipeline is dead. You know, we have Victoria Newland saying basically the same thing. We have a, 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 a Twitter message from uh, from someone in the U.S. State Department to to uh, I think it was the Polish leader. The job is done. And she got fired soon after that. I mean, it's it's, it's all a, 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 a sick game, a deadly game being played here. As a journalist and as a thinker about media information management, how do you think you are seeing through it? How are you seeing through the untruths? Like, why does writers at the New York Times differ? Is it because you're a foreigner in Japan that you think you have that? Or what, where do you get that independent spark from? I, I've got nearly 50 years of experience in, in news, in, in international news, um, as a foreign correspondent of, with ABC News here in Japan. Uh, I was also um, uh, the Tokyo correspondent for the West German public broadcaster Deutsche Welle at the same time that I was working with ABC. Um, and at that time, I was also uh, an announcer at, at uh, Tokyo Broadcasting System. Uh, I was a weekend uh, anchor at Japan Cable Television. Um, um, I did some radio programs, some entertainment programs, music programs here in Japan. Um, I've been around the world, not all everywhere. I haven't been to Africa. I haven't been to South America, um, but Europe and Asia and 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 Pacific. I've I've been to and covered stories. I can see how the news coverage has changed. Um, it, it's very obvious to me. I can see right through it. I stopped watching television. You know, I've got a television here. I got one downstairs. Big TVs. I don't even watch them anymore. Oh, I, I may hook them up to my computer and watch something, you know, online on my TVs. But I don't watch CNN. I don't watch Fox News. Um, uh, I'll watch little snippets of it online, you know. Um, uh, and my one of my heroes was uh, Peter Jennings. You know, someone I really looked up to. He was with ABC. He started in ABC at ABC back in the '60s when he was a um uh, 26 years old he was an anchor for 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 um for abc's world news tonight it may not have been called world news tonight then but uh, abc's evening news whatever it was called back then his father was a canadian he's canadian well he he uh, he naturalized as an american citizen eventually but his father was a a news executive in canada and um and, and Peter Jennings, I mean, he was a high school dropout. He never went to college, but he was he was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> you know, he was uh, an autodidact, uh, and uh, yeah, I think he was um, he, he was quite brilliant. 
Uh, he didn't need uh, such diplomas and degrees and things. But uh, he felt that um, he needed to leave the anchor role and go and 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 hone his skills as a journalist, which he did. And he stayed with ABC and he, he became the chief uh, uh, international correspondent based in London. Uh, and back in the early 80s, there was a, a, a tripartite anchor team of Frank Reynolds in Washington um, uh, Max Robinson, the first uh, black network news anchor in the United States, he was based in Chicago and Peter Jennings was based in London. They had a wonderful, wonderful, and the ABC Evening News back then was absolutely wonderful. They actually told you what was going on around the world. You know, but you could learn the names of, of countries and cities and and leaders and places and people. And now, you know, you've got people on these these networks now who can't even pronounce names correctly. You know, and they they don't they, you know even even people who are foreign correspondents can't even find places on maps. You know, it, it's just it's just it's sad to see how low journalism has fallen and trust in journalism has really fallen. I mean, it, it's in the single digits now, which is which is sad. So yeah, I, I can see through. I mean, the whole um, situation that that erupted in February of 2022 uh, in Ukraine. You know, people unprovoked attack by Russia. You know, that Russia wants to take over Europe. No, they don't. They simply want to be left alone. The United States under Bill Clinton tried to tried to rob uh, uh, Russia, tried to go in there and steal Russian industry, the Soviet industry, basically, uh, to use the oligarchs, with, you know, who, who basically swooped in and, and scooped up all of these industries and made billions of dollars. Who who were trying to persuade uh, Boris Yeltsin, who was who was suffering from alcoholism, um, to to basically sell out his country. He 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 wasn't stupid. Uh, but he did have an alcohol problem, um, and he he turned to Vladimir Putin and turned and told him basically, "Dude, you got to help save Russia." A lot of Americans don't know the history between Russia and the United States. That 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 Russia supported the American Revolution. That that uh, that, that Russia parked some of its armada, naval armada, off the coast of of New York Harbor. And told the French and and off the coast of, of of I think the Carolinas and told the British and the French, don't you dare interfere in the American Civil War. The French and the British were trying to help the South, and you know and against the North, and and um, and the Russians, you know, uh, the Russian Empire said, no, no, don't you dare. In one of the interviews you had with the I forget the host of the name, but you said that you feel free in Japan. I forget the exact quote. You said maybe like, I'm a free black man in Japan. Yeah, yeah. How I'm does sure. that connotate to how you analyze the world? I mean, do you think if you had been 40-year career in the States, you'd have this lens? I have been back to the States um, at, once, the first time to Hawaii uh, for two years. And then when I was in 2000, I was uh, turning, uh, I think by the time I went back, yeah, uh, well, that year, 2000, I turned 40. Um, so I have been back to the States, um, um, and I was, I had no desire to work for corporate media. I went back and went to work for WHYY in Philadelphia, which is an NPR and PBS affiliate. And, and I actually was, uh, was an NPR correspondent. I was, I was one of the, I was their Philadelphia correspondent while I was there, um, covering especially presidential visits whenever um george bush would come to town president bush would come to town i would join the white house press pool uh at the airport and and ride in you know the presidential motorcade into the city and and, and follow the president around i was a pool reporter um 
Um, and then I left WHYY and went out west. I, I wanted to, to to challenge myself and do more. So I went into media management and worked at a community radio station in Portland, Oregon. And then I went to another community radio station owned by Bellevue Community College, just outside of Seattle, Washington, and went into to, um, uh, management there as a assistant general manager and, and program director at a radio station there. And it was wonderful to work at a nonprofit media organization teaching people how to do news. And, and when I was there, Portland, Oregon was voted year after year as the most livable city in America. Look at it now. A shithole. A shithole of 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 left-wing people who've just destroyed the city. And I'd always consider myself left. But at 63 years old now, I'm I'm conservative, not a Republican conservative. No, I'm just conservative of, of, of hopefully someone who's got a little bit of wisdom and 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 who would like to conserve um decency and and morality and and people's right to practice whatever religion they want to and to say what they want to. Look at how free speech is being eroded in the United States now. Some of the things I'm talking to you now, I'd I'd be, you know. Uh, 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 criticized or, or banished from saying, you know, and this is, this is by people on the left. We never heard anybody in the right saying banish them. And I remember when I was in in in, in Hawaii at KHVH uh, News Radio, Rush Limbaugh was getting his start. <laughs> he was on KHVH. Larry King was on KHVH. And we allowed people to say what they wanted to say. Rush Limbaugh, he would take the word liberal and say, liberal, you know, he would just vomit it out, you know. But you had another voice on there, Larry King and other voices, you know, left, right, center, whatever. And now look at how polarized and divided America is today. It is it is sad. It is very sad. But, yeah, I, um, I, I it's not like I'm here in Japan in a bubble. You know, I, I can see everything you see. I, I I don't watch television, so I'm not watching, you know, Kehon or 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 what I forget what the other stations are. I, I wouldn't watch them anyway. Um, but if something is newsworthy, I can go online and see what's happening in Lahaina or at Lahaina, as most of the journalists these days call it. They don't even do your research, learn the pronunciation. And they even put up, you know, a, a transliteration on the screen. L-A-H-H-A-Y. It's not Lahaina. It's Lahaina. <laughs> it's just laziness. You know, a lot of a lot of journalism today is just laziness, going along to get along, being being part of the team. And it's what I and this is what I didn't like about sports growing up, you know, to seeing brothers, you know, fighting over a goddamn ball game. Um, and, 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 and here we have that now that this sports mentality, this tribal mentality of wearing colors and painting your face colors of your team. And, and it's, it's, it's bled into our politics now, you know, but I remember, you know, like the house speaker, Tip O'Neill, he would say something, oh, my friend across the aisle. Now it's that terrorist across the aisle, you know, <laughs> or, or, or that pedophile across the aisle or something. It's really, America has really devolved. And as someone who grew up at a time when, you know, in, in the 60s, you know, up until like the early to mid 70s, we didn't lock our doors. You know, there were no home invasions. You know, what happened in Lewiston, Maine yesterday, you know, you know, 22 people being shot. We didn't have, we didn't have kids going into school shooting, shooting up each other. 
you know, I mean, we had kids walking down the street with a shotgun over their shoulder. They were going to hunt some squirrels or deer hunting or something. And they did it right. They registered their guns. They wore the orange stuff, you know. And you know, what the hell happened? <laughs> you know, what happened to families? You know, what happened to mother and father? Now you've got, you know, single women raising kids, fathers making babies and walking away. You know, what the hell happened to America? And it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. Going back to Japan, I'm just curious. Japan has a history of political violence and disagreement. Last year, we had the assassination of a former prime minister. Correct. So I think... And the attempted assassination this year of another one, his successor. Yeah. So I, I'm just curious how you contrast that to the US or if you do. or I always feel like information in Japan is actually more free yeah. if you look for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I, um, um, YouTube channel, uh, well, not YouTube, but uh, websites aren't banned here, like in the EU. Um, they don't have these draconian measures like the EU does, and and the United States would love to to impose. Um, uh, information flows freely here in Japan if you if you know where to look for it. If you want it, you can look for it. You know, you can get a VPN and, and disguise your location and 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 find out you know uh, more information. Um, um, but yeah, political violence, there's a long history of it here. I mean, going back thousands of years, <laughs> you know, I mean, Kamakura, you know, we the city I live in here, you know, um, there, there's a there's a monument and, and the gravesite of a guy named Hino who had his head lopped off because he disobeyed a shogun, you know, and just this morning I walked past his, his little his little gravesite. You know, and it's like, wow, and I looked into the history of it. Uh, he, he got beheaded because he disagreed or or, or uh, uh, went against a, 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 a local warlord or shogun, the, the, the leader of, of, of um, well, Japan wasn't unified then, but uh, it was becoming unified. Um, but yeah, um, um, Japan was was extremely fascistic uh, at the turn of the last century, the 20th century. Prime ministers were assassinated. The military took over. It got it got Japan involved in in World War II. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's been very peaceful here uh, post World War II. Um, there are lots of heinous crimes that are committed uh, every day by just seemingly ordinary people. People you wouldn't expect to. Uh, fathers against sons, sons against fathers, uh, or against mothers. Uh, yeah, it, it happens here. Japan is it's not a paradise here, but it is. Uh, you know, I do lock my doors here. Yeah, but no one has ever uh, uh, bothered me here at my home. No one's bothered my car. Um, people are are very uh, decent. There's decency here that 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 is disappearing, fast disappearing in the United States. Neighbors who won't talk to you in the United States, you know, I know my neighbors here. One reason I moved out of Tokyo is because, you know, neighbors, you know, I, I you lived in an apartment building, get on an elevator. He's like, well, who are you? I wanted to know who you are. I, I, I'm Robert. I live on the sixth floor. And where, who are you? Where do you? I demanded people to know who people were. Yeah. Um, but here, you know, people are curious. They want to know, well, who's this black guy who moved here? You know, when I moved here 17 years ago. And now everybody knows me. The police know who I am. You know, they come by and check on me. You know, they have a, a registration 
that you fill out so that they know who's who. But yeah, I'm never bothered by the police. I don't fear going to the police station. Uh, you know, I laugh and joke with them. One policeman came um, on his motorbike years ago <laughs> when I first moved here, a few years after I moved here, and he was just doing his patrols and he <laughs> he slipped and fell. And uh, he had some mud on his boots and then just up his pant leg, you know, and so I helped him wash it off and whatnot. And we had a, a good laugh about that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, I don't have to put up with, with foolishness, you know, and I'll, I'll look at things on Twitter or X, as it's called now, of 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 black, especially youth running amok in the states, you know, going into you know convenience stores or department stores and just going crazy, acting crazy in fast food joints, tearing the place up, throwing chairs and tables and stuff. It's like what the hell? I never experienced that when I lived in the United States. And and everybody thinks it's normal now, you know. Oh man, yeah, that's that's you know that happens. Something terrible is going on in the United States. It, as you say, it's happened in Venezuela. It's it's happened in Colombia. It's 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 happened uh, in Mexico. It's 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 happening in 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 Europe now. The chickens are coming home to roost. I don't know, but uh, something is something is is afoot, you know. And, and I'm simply saying. Not today, Satan. <laughs> not here. Not with me. So maybe we can go to your gardening project, uh, Robert, because that sounds like a, to me, it feels like a counter to all that negative energy. You have this personal space and you you have such a wonderful voice and broadcast history, but now you're producing these this content that offers an alternative. So I'd love to know where that comes from and why you're doing it. It's catharsis. It's healing. Nearly 50 years of covering wars and murder and mayhem and thievery and 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 just you know the it, it I'll admit it it's still exciting you know um, when 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 news happens you know um, it's exciting to see I when I was a kid you know I always wanted to be the first to know and the first to tell that not you know I wasn't a snitch no but um, that's what it tr attracted me to to journalism was being the first to know and the first to spread the word for me now you know after all these years you know five six decades of of, of reporting the news I'm tired so much so that I, I gave up drinking three years ago. I gave up alcohol completely, cold turkey in one day, April 30th, May 1st, next day, May Day, May Day, May Day, I, I was alcohol free. And I have been since then. I had no desire. I even had it, still a few bottles left you know, in the fridge and here and there, and I gave them away. I had no desire to drink anymore. So my gardening, uh, I've been doing that uh, pretty much all of my life with some breaks in between. I grew up uh, gardening, helping uh, a neighbor particularly um um with her garden and then uh, as a teenager i when i was also uh working at the uh radio station and on weekends during the week uh, especially in the summertime uh, during summer break i worked for a landscaper you know a guy in my town he had a landscaping business and i i i, I love working with plants you know, either cutting them down or helping them grow. Um, yeah, it, it's just beautiful for, for me. This is is very cathartic. Um, the gardening and and then something said, "Well, I've been doing this for years, and and I'm not." I thought about YouTube years ago, and it's like, nah. It's the alcohol that made me so lazy. I didn't even want to do it. You know, and then finally, um, oh, about 2016 or so, 2016, I think it was. I, I made one video. And if you go back and you can see my very first video, 
um, it featured my my two dogs at the time, Bebe and Spunky, and um, and just you know showing my garden. And then three years ago, when I quit drinking, I needed something to do with my time because um, um, I, I I'm not a uh, I'm an independent contractor, so I don't have a set schedule. It schedule changes, and sometimes I'm busy, and sometimes I'm not. And back three years ago, I was not very busy at all, and now I'm extremely busy, and I love it. Um, but yeah, it was a chance to to channel my energies into something productive and to give something back to the world instead of talking about how many people got murdered in Lewiston, Maine yesterday, um, how to take this little seed, sprout it, grow it into a tree that's taller than me now, you know, um, and, and to give something back. Um, um, a lot of my subscribers and viewers, as you say, they they. Um, mention how calming um my videos are um and i i think now that you've heard me talk for a while you can see why i do what i do you know i've got a lot in me that's just you know screaming to get out you know um um and it's not all negative but there's a lot of negativity out there and uh, instead of of joining that bandwagon i decide to put this energy into something that can hopefully even if people don't want to to get into gardening or they can't because they live in an apartment someone just sent me a message the other day saying you know i i mentioned you know um growing stuff you know if you have a balcony and they said no i live in an apartment i don't have a balcony and then i thought about yeah there's a lot of people who don't even have balconies um but you know, if they can't do gardening, um, at least I can bring them some sort of enjoyment or peace of mind um, for for the fifteen or twenty minutes that they're watching my channel. Well, that's why I enjoy it. I think you're offering kind of like yeah, just a counter to that negative informational. And also being in Japan, you're creating as an American, you're offering this alternative. Look, you can live in this calm way. You can go to the gardening store and be polite. You don't have to rob the store. You don't have to get in a fight. You can you know, share this space. And you, you went, you met this British guy and he's doing the natural farming. Another foreigner. Actually, he's Dutch. He's oh, Dutch. Sorry. Uh, he, but, he, studied, he studied in Britain. He went to Oxford and yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's just nice to see you building this community. I mean, you have the community of foreign correspondents and Japanese broadcasters. So it's nice to see you go very local, but now you're starting to, you can feel the, the layers building. You're building. You, you know, you, this is, yeah, you're absolutely right. This is one reason why I wanted to come back to Japan. I went back to the States and I was there for five years, even though the, the people here, you know, is a majority Japanese country. It's not as homogeneous as, as you think it is, um, because the foreign communities are growing here, um, um, especially other Asians, uh, Vietnamese and Chinese and Koreans. Um, there was a, the article in the newspaper just yesterday that I saw that uh, the numbers are increasing quite a bit. Um, but it's a place to come and meet people from all over the world. Hendrik, my, my neighbor here, I walk past his house every morning and I'm like, yeah, this is interesting. This is interesting. And then in one, one afternoon I walk past and I see him. Oh, this is your place. And he looked at me like, who are you? I'm like, well, who are you? <laughs> you know, why are you half naked out here in somebody's front yard? <laughs> and it's his front yard. <laughs> and I said, dude, you know, we, we sat and talked for an hour and a half. And then I came back with the camera. <laughs> you know, I said, I, I, you know, if you don't mind, I'd like to, you know, I'd like you to give me a garden tour and whatnot. You know, he just sent me an email this morning. He's going back to um, Shizuoka, which is uh, just south of here. He's got some land there. Him and his son are are um, uh, going down for the weekend to uh, to do some work on the land they just bought. They don't have a, a structure on the land yet, but they're just working the land. 
Yeah, it's it's a chance to meet people from all over the world. Um, and I, I found that when I was in the States, there, there's this closed-mindedness, this closed mentality. Um, you in, in Honolulu, um, you, um, you've got a lot more, as we were saying um, earlier, uh, there's a lot more diversity, cultural diversity, ethnic diversity. So, and, and that much makes living in Hawaii so, so nice, uh, is that diversity. It's, it's not just all the same uh, types of people or, or, or people. Um, they had their enclaves here and there, but uh, th there's more of a, of a uh, in the United States. I mean, even in places like New York or in the larger cities, people are separated in different enclaves. Uh, here, there's a lot more melding in, you know, well, um, it wouldn't make sense for all Americans to live in this section or, or all the Chinese to live in that section. Or, um, But, you know, I mean, you do, like in Osaka, there's a preponderance, uh, there's a, a lot more people of Korean descent than in other cities. And in Yokohama, a lot more people of Chinese descent. But you don't have these ghettos um, um, that you, you see, these ethnic ghettos. That you see in, in the states. So here, it's it's um, it's a it's a place to be who you. It's a place to be yourself, to be oneself, to be who you are. Um, yeah, and and a lot of these people, especially when they're young, they come here and they 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 do this. You know, um, <laughs> if you I don't know if you remember that song, Turning Japanese. Um, I forget who a Devo or somebody that turning Japanese. Oh yes, I'm turning Japanese. Oh yes, I think so. I, I forget who did the song. And people play that little thing. Everybody goes through that wearing the kimono and, and going to the matsuri, the you know the uh, the festivals and stuff. Everybody goes through that. And then you 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 you've kind of had enough of that. Um, but it's a place to because you, I don't care. Even if you get Japanese citizenship, you're never going to be Japanese. You know. Um, so it's a it's a chance to come and find out who you are. You know, I don't have to speak like, you know, uh, like uh, 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 a brother from the hood, you know, um, and I, I really can't do it anyway. So, <laughs> so I you know, better not even try. Um, I don't have to act black. Uh, you, you you may see in some of my speech patterns and, and mannerisms and whatnot, but I can just be me, you know. Um we were talking, you were trying to figure out my accent earlier, you know, when I was in high school <laughs> and junior high school, I used to be ridiculed by other black kids. Bobby talked like he white, you know, um, because I, you know, well, if you, if you notice, most children speak very clearly. They don't have, you know, black accents or, or, or this accent or not. They speak very clearly. It's not until they get into puberty and beyond that they start adopting these speech mannerisms of black or 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 Asian or whatever. You know. <laughs> Do you think Japanese have the same freedom when they come to the U.S. or when they leave Japan? Yes, yes, because Japanese are under extraordinary pressures to fit in. You know, to to join a company, to to, to fit into society. To not break the rules, it's a very rules-based society, um, and you, you, you know, uh, and, and and that's why you see such rebellion. Um, and a lot of it, it may be superficial, you know, a young Japanese kid with dreadlocks, or now the big since the nineties, the big fad is to, to to bleach blonde your hair, bleach your hair blonde, you know. Um, um, there's it's such a I mean, and this, you know, even they're trying, even still, 
there's a debate going on for high schoolers about the length of hair. Not they 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 have to keep their hair at a certain length. Um, the the girls can't perm their hair in in many of the schools. The boys, if they have curly hair, they have to straighten it. Um, if and now you've got mixed you know, kids of mixed heritage, you know. Um, and there was a, a kid who's who's uh, part black and part Japanese, and he was trying to wear cornrows at his graduation ceremony and couldn't attend. They banned him from attending and things like that. Yeah, um, um, but see, I I didn't grow up that way. I didn't grow up here for one. Um, but yeah, there's a huge uh, a pressure. There's a lot of pressure, tremendous pressure for Japanese to to conform, and they leave. They don't. They they, they a lot of them are still. There's a, a, a huge desire. Oh, I want to go to the states because they can finally explore who they are, who they want to become. Um, yeah, and I, I I had many students. You know, when I was teaching at Temple for 13 years. You know, um, they say, yeah, next next semester I'll be going to the main campus. And my advice was be careful, make good friends and and be very careful. Um, yeah. But I said, you know, go and explore. I mean, you're going to meet some wonderful people there. There'll be and you'll meet some horrible people. Some of them will be white. Some of them will be black. Some of them will be fellow Asians. You're going to have good times and bad times. But just take care. Be careful. Watch your back. Yeah. Robert. Talking about your classes at Temple, I think you were teaching ethics. What what were you teaching? I, I taught ethics? journalism. I taught journalism. I started teaching media management and organization. That was my first course. Um, then I taught writing courses. And then at the end, I was teaching the last um, four years or so, five years maybe, I was teaching um, uh, ethics in journalism and the, and the history of journalism. They were separate courses. So I taught history. Uh, one semester ethics the next history the next ethics the next or, or over the summer i teach one or the other so the history of journalism and ethical issues in journalism yeah well i was just curious about what topics you were particularly interested in ethical in the ethics of journalism um a lot of it dealt with hypocrisy in the media um and and showing you know using um clips from media showing the hypocrisy of 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 um of uh, and and the outright um uh lies showing how for example cnn um uh, there's a CNN, a, a cnn correspondent in london staging a demonstration they they went and got a group of people from a particular group and they were muslims and um i forget exactly what they were protesting against but they were actually telling people where to stand and how to stand and the cameraman only framed these people in the shot to make it look like it was a huge crowd but it was only about 10 or 12 people i don't know why they recorded the whole thing but you i showed them the clip of 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 the correspondent and the producers telling people what to do when to hold up their signs and then suddenly oh we're live now in london and, and you know and it's all fake yeah, and I, I played a lot of them. Have you seen the clip of um, of 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 the newscasters? Like a montage of of clips of newscasters all across all across the United States. Um, we're concerned about our democracy, and they're all saying the same thing. Yes, it's it's troubling. I played that years ago, three four years ago, to my classes, and that was from Sinclair Broadcasting. They had all of their 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 affiliates around the country read the same script, and somebody got a hold of all of them and put them all together in this montage. Yeah. And 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 that was three years ago. And look what we have now. People being canceled uh, for saying the wrong thing. 
you know, and 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 these news organizations claiming to you know want to protect democracy. No, no, no. This is what communists do, and and we, we you know in America we don't learn about the communist you know um, uh, uh, Mao Zedong in China, the Cultural Revolution back in the 1970s. That wasn't that long ago, you know, just 50 years ago, of 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 um, uh, of students going after their professors, putting paint on their faces, making them wear dunce caps and stuff. And what's the guy's name? Um, um, Weinstein in in Oregon, who was raked over the coals by his students. oh, Brett Brett Weinstein, yes, Brett Weinstein. Yeah. That was before yeah. COVID. Yeah, out of his university, him and his wife. You know, yeah, yeah. And and I was being, yeah. You know, they they didn't have the balls. My course supervisor, Temple University, didn't have the balls to, to confront me. He wouldn't even have a. He, we never once sat down and have a conversation about anything. Yeah, he's he's one of these, you know, uh, um, probably Marxists. I mean, they were marching up and down the streets supporting George Floyd, who who just recently, and this news came out when he died, that he was not killed by the police officer. And this yeah. is what I was trying to tell my students. He died of a fentanyl. And it's not fentanyl, it's fentanyl. Look at how the word spell, you idiots. N-Y-L is nil. Tylenol, fentanyl. And, and you got broadcasters who don't even know the difference. Can't even pronounce the word correctly. But he he was he he died of a, a drug overdose. Fentanyl was in his system, alcohol was in his system, uh, uh, a crack, you know, cocaine was in his system. And what was he doing when he got arrested? He was trying to steal from a shop owner by passing uh, counterfeit bills. And he and the he and the police officer were bouncers at a nightclub. They knew each other. They knew each other, but that was hushed. This whole thing was such, and, and cities burned, Milwaukee burned. Five police officers in Dallas were killed, shot in their cars or on the street or wherever. Five of them just murdered by BLM and Antifa. And what was your relationship with the Temple professor? You were saying they well, he was he was my core supervisor, and he I was see. talking behind my back, calling me a conspiracy theorist. Oh, on this, I see. Journalists should be conspiracy theorists. That's why we had I.F. Stone and 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 Jack uh, Jack Anderson, you know, and and Seymour Hirsch, who's still alive, you know, and, and Greenwald. We all journalists should be conspiracy theorists. We have to theorize about conspiracies because our government carries them out. The Nord Stream bombing was a conspiracy to 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 tell Germany and the rest of Europe stay in line. You know, the, the Gulf of Tonkin incident was a conspiracy. To 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 get America more involved in the Vietnam War, you know the the bombing of Pearl Harbor was a conspiracy, not only of the Japanese but Theodore Roosevelt, not Theodore Roosevelt, uh, but, um, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, FDR, to get America involved in World War II, and he blamed it on the commanders of the Pacific fleets there. Yeah, and we should always be conspiracy, and this is what I was trying to teach my students to always ask questions. When I had, uh, when I was a news director at, at the radio station in Portland, I was news and public affairs director, and I would put, you know, little little reminders on the wall: stay curious, you know, always stay curious. And somebody, you know, crossed out the C and put an F. Stay furious. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's it's you know, this is what I was trying to teach my students, you know, to question authority. You know, we're our job as journalists is is to give voice to the voiceless. And to question those in power, not to just pirate what they say. You know, I mean, this this whole COVID thing, you know, people, you know, and people, especially black people who were who were complaining about systemic racism, they ran out to get, you know, the man's 
poison injected into them multiple times. And now we're learning just how dangerous that shit is. You have people dying of myocarditis, sports people first, and now just regular people, children. They injected this shit into children. My own twin sister, she got injected, you know, and now she she doesn't want to talk much about, you know, her medical problems, you know. I mean, this is, this is uh, 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 you know, what the media has done to the United States in particular. It's happened here too. Robert, do you think, do you know what post-truth is? Meaning the sense that we're moving into a media empire state that it's almost impossible to know what's real or what's true ai you know like you're talking about the cnn yeah yeah generating narratives what are some tools ai news announcers now yeah i know but how do you try to stay sane in a world where it's like a philip k dick universe in the sense that everything is unreal and real at the same time so how do you navigate this post-truth you reality have to have a good knowledge base you have to have lifelong learning when you see that link in something you know online or whatever click that link go deeper you know when you see that word you don't know click on it and 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 look up that word you know broaden your knowledge base read history go on to youtube and look at look at some of the historical uh, um 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 documentaries and and one some of it it's some of it's it's bullshit but the more knowledge you have read books who's reading books anymore not many people you know whether it's an audio book where you can listen to it or if it's you know it's an ebook read study history you know, that's what I was t- telling you about, you know, the history between um, um, Russia and the United States. Most of us, most of us Americans have no no freaking clue that Russia and the United States were once so very close. That's why Russia sold us Alaska for, for pennies on the dollar. <laughs> you know, they didn't, and it was so far away, you know, they hadn't even explored much of their Far East. You know, but yeah, we, we you know, I, and most most people don't know that that Russia and, and the United States, the Soviet Union were, were allies in World War II. You know, and it was that that Russia did most of the the heavy killing in World War II to defeat the, the Germans. Well, we don't even, we're not taught that. It's like you know, and, and, you know the whole thing with um, um, the Russia Gate. You remember that? Mm-hmm. You know, it was totally bogus. I was trying to tell my students then that this is bullshit. It was all bullshit, and I was I was proven right. You know, <laughs> I'm not there anymore, you know, so, you know, who I, who I tell the truth, but I was right. And, you know, they, they, you know, those students will, will, will hopefully realize that, you know, their professor was trying to, to tell them the truth, you know, and, and, and my, you know, superiors were, were, were trying to undermine me, you know, and it's just sickening to see that whole Hillary Clinton cooked up that whole Russiagate thing. And the FBI went along, the FBI should be disbanded. The CIA was involved in overthrowing a duly elected president. And if it happens to Trump, I don't care what you think about Trump. I'm not, are you a Trump supporter? No, I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm a truth supporter. You know, and I would say this in class. You know, I'd be asked, you know, do you support Trump? No, you know, I don't support it. I didn't support Barack Obama either. Here's this obscure, skinny black dude from Chicago who's elevated to the presidency. At first to the Senate, and then the presidency. This is all bullshit. It's all bullshit. He's fake. It's it's. Uh, I'm sorry, but, but yeah, the key is is to become an autodidact. I mean, someone who learns on their own. Yeah. See, I, and a lot of people, oh, Robert, you're just a conspiracy theorist. You know, and it's like you grow up. You know, and it's like I, I, I've had enough. You know, I tried to warn people about you know the, these these um, the, the COVID injections. You know, it is totally bogus, and most people don't realize that the whole thing was a Department of Defense project. Most Americans have no clue. 
That was all DOD working with the Chinese. Anthony Fauci sent millions of dollars because of gain of function. It has been banned in the United States, but they did it anyway. The University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So they, they, they farmed it out to the Chinese and then blamed it on them. Isn't that some nasty shit? I mean, that's one theory. There's also the Chinese theory. So there's so many theories and alternative theories. And that's why I, I, I try. Yeah, the Chinese theory is like, okay, okay, we're not stupid. You know, so we're, we're going to we're going to weaponize this thing against you. You know, yeah. that's or- Sun Sun, the art of war. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's another thing. People, you know, need to study people like Sun Tzu. You know, study Confucius, you know. Uh, one of my last questions, Robert, I have a lot of friends in America who are concerned about collapse in the US and the West. And they're all dreaming about either moving to Japan or moving to Alaska or doing the homesteading kind of, you know, thing. I lived in South America and we had a hyperinflation situation when I was young. So I've seen it firsthand. Where were you? In Brazil when I was like 13, we had hyperinflation. If all Portuguese, yeah. And <laughs> so I'm just curious how you feel being in Japan. Are you going to retire? I mean, do you plan on staying the rest of your life in Japan or what's your, do you want to return to the States or who knows? I, have, the no I have no desire to return to the States. I did twice. Yeah. You know? And when I went back, uh, was it 23 years ago, um, uh, in middle age, um, I could see then, uh, the, the downward spiral of, of, of American society. Um, there is America is a beautiful country. I drove from Pennsylvania all the way across the country to, to the West coast, to, to Oregon. Um, three and a half days. It took me, it's a beautiful country. There are beautiful people in America. I, I'm not, I'm not anti-America. There's beautiful people there. Our governments, you know, local, state, national are, 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 are basically ripping us off. You know, America's in debt. You know, people talk about $33 trillion in debt. No, 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 it's more than that. We're talking about quadrillions. You know, if you can imagine, you know, trillions, quadrillions of dollars in debt. Uh, The pension plans are broke. There's no money there. Social Security, there's no money there either. Remember Al Gore talking back in the 2000 election about the Social Security lockbox? People, you know, ridiculed him. Social Security is gone. You know, they'd spent all that money. And this is why they have to take us to war, to, to war. You know, and there's going to be. I'm I'm watching a, a number of. I'm hearing a number of different voices. We're going to war on a global scale, World War Three. It's going to happen. They have to, because most governments are broke. America's broke. Japan is broke. The European Union is broke. You know, um, um, but Japan has been around for thousands of years. It still has cohesion. It's 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 you know they they seem to be committing suicide. Young people don't want to have children. Um, 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 businesses, you know, when I first came to Japan, you know, there were, there were clear societal roles, familial roles. The father went out to work and he worked hard and he worked for his company for a lifetime, whatever. And, and that's all gone now. You know, young people can't even find jobs or they're they're getting part-time jobs or whatever. Everybody should, first of all, know where their food comes from. You know, where's the chicken come from? The supermarket. Not done. <laughs> <You know? laughs> People should know where their food comes from. They should know how to grow food. They should start growing little things like herbs and tomatoes, you know, and, and potatoes, they're the easiest thing to grow. Go to the supermarket, buy some potatoes, wash them really good, and then put them in a brown paper bag. When they start sprouting, put them outside, you know, or if you have some old potatoes that start sprouting, put them outside in a bag. I, I use grow bags. 
You know, you can, buckets will work, you know, just have some drainage in them. People need to grow how they need to know where their food comes from. And they need to start learning how to grow their own food. And just like their ancestors did not that many generations ago. When I was growing up in the 60s, <coughs> I had friends whose parents could barely speak English. They were from Germany. They were from Italy. They were from Hungary or, or Ukraine. They left their countries for a better life. Americans of today may have to leave the United States for a better life. You know, don't just sit in the same place going through the same. I tried to tell my elder brother, how about Mexico? Oh, man, Mexico is dangerous, dangerous. There are some wonderful places in Mexico. Safer than Philadelphia. He's probably. five years older than me. He's 68. He could, he could live very well on Social Security there. But they, they, people don't want to take the chance. I, I always get on an airplane, boom, I'm gone. I, I I couldn't wait to get on an airplane and go somewhere else. Will I stay here in Japan? Yeah, I'll probably. Um, but I'm keeping, you know, uh, I've got my the corner of my eye on a side escape route. You know, I'm not sure where, but uh, like I just said, you know, I can live on a retirement very cheaply somewhere. It could be, you know, I don't know, um, Cambodia. It could be Vietnam. You know, there's no major wars going on there right now. And the people there still have, they can, they, they still know how to smile. I, I do get asked this quite often, you know, um, keep your eyes wide open. Um, Japan, I don't see, not unless uh, there's a major war. And it seems as though the leadership here, uh, the political leadership, um, are just itching to get into a fight with someone. And Japan's military had, and they do have it. It's called the Self Defense Forces, but it's a military. But they haven't; they have no practical experience fighting. They'll get massacred. You know, they don't understand guerrilla warfare. They don't understand urban warfare. Uh, Japan should just stay pacifist. Yeah, I, I'd I'd be glad to see American military bases leave Japan. I mean, that's how I got here. You know, it's through the military. Um, but um, but there's no need. Japan can. Um, uh, defend itself. And actually, it shouldn't be any need. Japan, Korea needs to stop fighting over some dumb shit that happened, you know, a long time ago. You know, so much of their their um, culture has come from China and India and, and elsewhere, um, you know, through Buddhist um, um, connections and, 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 uh, and contacts. Um, but yeah, Japan should stop trying to ape the West. Stop trying to imitate the West. And be Japanese, be Asian for once. Yeah, I mean, Japan and Korea should not be arguing the way they still are, you know, um, and, and China as well. But then, you know, these are global forces trying to divide and rule, you know, to keep the Korean Peninsula uh, separated. You know, that, that's ridiculous. You know, the, the Korean Peninsula is still separated. The same people still quarreling over some dumb shit, over some, some, some ideology from Europe, communism, you know, uh, or capitalism, <laughs> you know, whatever the ism is. Um, yeah, uh, things are going to get tough. Um, and this is why I, I walk five and a half kilometers every morning, you know, an hour, an hour and a half. Um, uh, I don't drink anymore. Um, I practice intermittent fasting, uh, which is, which is, you know, basically for me, it means, and I do this every day, not just once a month or so every day I stop eating at 5 PM. I don't eat again until after nine o'clock the next morning. Then I'll have a, a large breakfast between then and five o'clock in the afternoon. I'll have some snacks, some fruit, uh, some nuts, um, some baked goods that I make, you know, homemade cookies or or zucchini bread or something like that. I don't eat dinner anymore. You know, basically it's one meal a day, maybe two, 
but I, I never eat in the evening. Um, so between I go to bed at at, at eight o'clock every night. I'm asleep. I go to the bedroom at about you know, 6 30, 7 o'clock, and I'm asleep by 8. I wake up at 3 30, 4 o'clock every morning, go out for my walk. And uh, yeah, because, you know, um, at, at 63 years old, um, <laughs> I'm only getting older, I'm not getting younger. So I, I need the stamina, I need the strength. Um, a, a sports club is it's really unnecessary. I mean, just walking is plenty. I, I reversed uh, pre diabetes. I reversed high hypertension, high blood pressure. I had fatty liver liver disease, so you know I reversed renal disease uh, um, uh, by quitting alcohol. I reversed uh, hepatic disease, you know, pre diabetes and heart disease. Get your life in order, get your health in order, and um, and if it's not working out where you are, think about getting up and going somewhere else. People are afraid to do that sometimes. You know, you can you know the, the, the boiling frog syndrome. You can sit in that pot of water, and that's not really true, by the way. But uh, you know, it, it it does make sense. You know, if you sit into you know a pot of water, you don't really notice the heat rising until it's too late. You know. So, and then, yeah. Robert, um, what's the best way for people to find you on the Kamakura Gardener channel or any other way? Yeah, I'm on. I'm on. Uh, I get this. I, I'm. I'm. I, I spread it out. I'm on Patreon, uh, Patreon.com, where people can actually support. You know, with a, a very small. You know, three dollar a month um, um, patronage, um, uh, up to what is it? I think my highest is twenty five dollars a month. That's a VIP patron. Um, I'm on locals. Are you familiar with locals? Yes. Yeah. So I'm on locals. I'm on Telegram, Rumble, Odyssey and bright eon bright and, eon and obviously youtube for that's and youtube cool. yeah yeah so and um here in japan i'm online as well so i do post my uh my youtube channel online as well yeah things are going to start changing rapidly i think the united states uh, will see the end of biden very soon I, I don't know exactly when or how it'll happen but biden will not be president for very long i think we're going to see something very very uh, shocking uh, even more so than than September 11, 2001, um, the whole world is is going to go through uh, uh, some cataclysms here. And um, uh, my what I'm simply trying to do is keep keep a clear head and stay clear of political parties and social movements, uh, BLM or Antifa and all that silliness. Um, no, seek out like-minded people uh get in contact with them i mean there's a lot of good stuff on youtube youtube you know there's a lot of shitty things that the company does but there's a lot of good people on there you know a lot of it's a, it's a wonderful place to go and learn something yeah well that's why I, going back to your local work I, I appreciate you reconnecting to the ground and grounding yourself in this local community of the plants and the yeah. kamakura community i think that's healthy we all need to go back and 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 develop community there yeah. will be chaos in Japan, but it won't be long lasting. Um, just after World War II, it was extremely chaotic. A lot of people were homeless. Uh, the black market was terrible, but they 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 recoalesced into into a nice group once again uh, within ten years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm in the winter of my life. You know, um, you know, and uh, I, I guess I'm transitioning from autumn into the winter of my life. I've just felt more at home overseas. You know, that's why that's why I told Ranzo on Black Experience Japan that I feel like a free black man here. I don't I don't have I don't have to act black. 
I don't have to, you know, say, oh, that's my tribe. I can just be me. Um, and I, I can have my own views and I'm not afraid to to express them, you know. Uh, conspiracy theorists, well, up yours too, buddy. You know, so what? You know, I, I don't care, you know. Um, because, you know, what's the difference between a conspiracy theorist and the truth? Well, about six months, <laughs> you know. <laughs> really? And you know, all of the stuff that I was accused of being conspiracy theorist about, you know, it turned out I was right. Not that I was right, it was right. What you know, that the topic was, you know, I mean, Russia Gate and this, that, and the other, all of the stuff, you know. Just give it time and and the truth will out. You know? Yeah. So uh Robert, I don't want to take more of your time. Be well.